Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam? Living with you is like living in a living nightmare. Coming to you almost live from inside an active coal mine, this is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And I'm Peter. And Peter is our guest. That's correct. Uh, welcome, Peter. Peter Daly is an entomologist. Yes. With the city of Edmonton. Indeed I am. Uh, and I was just speaking to one of our former guests who happened to be hanging around this active coal mine, uh, panning for coal. And uh, <laughs> he mentioned that... Uh, that uh, he is absolutely terrified of insects. Yeah, you, you know, mosquitoes, whatever, but like mm-hmm. flies, he's afraid of. Really? And I, I think that probably incidents of crippling fear of insects in the general population is probably pretty up there. Oh, tremendously so. Um, arachnophobia, which is technically the fear of spiders, spiders aren't insects, uh, is tremendously common. And entomophobia, the fear of insects, also extremely common. And I, I can't imagine living like that, honestly. I Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to denigrate those who suffer from it. But the fact that uh, insects and arachnids really are everywhere, uh, really, they run the earth, not us. We just have delusions of grandeur, as far as I'm concerned. Um, to be constantly assaulted by this on all fronts, uh, really, it, I can't imagine uh, well, that kind of existence just... You know, it's very far removed from what I am. I mean, I love insects and spiders and things, but how did that? How did that ever start? Like when you were a kid, were you the kind of guy who, you know, flipped over rocks with the magnifying glass and fried ants? When I was or? a kid, I I still flip over the rocks. I, I never fried the ants though. That that was not kosher. But no, I've I've always loved those sorts of creepy crawly critters since really the time I was capable of forming conscious thought. Um, I could sing the theme song to the old Spider-Man cartoon before I was two years old. That is awesome. <laughs> I was a very weird little boy. So you just always had a love for bugs? And... Oh, pretty much. Just about anything cold-blooded catches my attention. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I really haven't lived any other way. Like, a, there hasn't been a time in my life where I can remember not being interested in that sort of thing. Yeah. Did you uh, Did you go to university to study it? Uh, yeah. I uh, went to the U of A for a year. Uh, found out that I hated it, but there's a lot of other issues there. Went to Nate in the biological sciences yep. and then went back to the U of A to upgrade with uh, some open studies classes. And uh, I've been working for the city for about uh, eight years now. And uh, obviously, you know, we're a, we're a winter city, so I bet half the year you don't have to worry too much about bugs. Uh, yeah, half the year I don't really have to worry too much about work either. Uh, <laughs> lucky. Well, <laughs> well, except for the yeah. cash money thing, right? Yeah, but you know, the, you got to look for the positive side. Fair enough. So as a person who works for the city, obviously you are very familiar with the bugs that crawl beneath our feet in the city of Edmonton. Indeed. And uh, I imagine that there's similarities all across Canada for all of our listeners across Canada are tens of listeners. Let's, let's start out with something, with something big. What is the most dangerous insect living in Edmonton? Um, the most dangerous insect. Well, I'd hesitate to call any insect, uh, in Edmonton dangerous, but the one that might potentially pose the greatest health risk would be probably the uh, common mosquito. Elaborate. Um, well, um, as no doubt you have heard through the media, um, the mosquito known as uh, Culex tarsalis is a potential vector for um, West Nile virus. And while the uh, while West Nile virus does not present a huge risk for the average person on the street, I don't want to get anybody paranoid. The fact is that there is a small risk that uh, someone could get bitten and develop uh, relatively severe symptoms from it along the lines of uh, encephalitis. But... For the average person, it's going to be very minor. You won't even know that you've been bitten. And that's really the most dangerous thing that we can expect. So really, we've got it pretty good here. That admittedly is a little less exciting than I was hoping. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was hoping you were like, well, there's this little known spider living beneath City Hall, guarding a clutch of golden eggs, and it's venom. 
will turn you into whatever the opposite of your current gender is. And allow you to travel through time. But we really shouldn't talk about this as uh, my master plan hinges on this, and I'd rather keep it under wraps until I've formulated all the different variables. That is actually truly disappointing that there aren't any super deadly insects. But along the lines of mosquitoes, uh, before the show, when Scott and I were talking about having you on, Mm -hmm. he was was, uh, commenting on your extensive knowledge of insects and said that there are quite a few species of mosquito in Edmonton? Oh, yes. Um, Now, they all breed at different points during the year, and not all of them are present in large numbers, but uh, we have the potential to have uh, as many as, I think, 36 or 37 different species of mosquitoes. Um, You'll often hear people commenting about, oh, geez, the mosquitoes are so much bigger this year when they happen to see one in uh, mid-spring. Well, that is probably the mosquito known as Culicita aliscensis, which in fact is much larger than uh, the little irritating ones that bite you like crazy in uh, late July, known as uh, Aedes vexans. They're probably about a third the mass of uh, Culicita aliscensis. So really, you're looking at two different mosquitoes, but when your last memory was, was... was of these little tiny irritating ones. You see the big ones. Oh, geez. They're breeding them big this year. Yeah. Do they actually say that about the mosquitoes? I do. Fair enough. So, (laughs) and and I know that uh, sometimes, uh, speaking of deadly insects or or dangerous insects, um, occasionally when when fruits and vegetables get imported, hilariously strange species of insects or arachnids find their way to Edmonton. So have you ever, in your experience, had to deal with anything like that or know of stories? Oh, yeah, from time to time it does happen. It is very rare, though. It's it's far less common than I would actually like because that would be really cool. You know, I've dropped off my phone number at, uh, you know, grocery stores and uh, home hardware places. Yeah, you ever get anything cool in, just call this number. And I've yet to receive a single call. Sniff. Um, but no, it, it does happen once in a while. I uh, at my lab, we had a uh, black widow brought into us that was uh, collected in some grapes. Um, now, people at home that are listening to this are probably going, oh my gosh, a black widow. Um, there actually hasn't been anybody that's died from a black widow bite in uh, over 20 years in North America. Um, they're not nearly as bad as people have made them out to be, and they're certainly not aggressive. So it's just a fluke hitchhiker, and it didn't want to be there in the first place. Um, but yeah, once in a while, we'll get uh, a cool bug that's hitchhiked from somewhere or another, and... That's sort of the, the highlight of my job. We hear somebody down at the front desk and, ooh, what have they brought in for us today? <laughs> oh, it's just a cell bug they found in the backyard. I mean, they're cool, but I was hoping for something really interesting. Cell bugs are – I was actually doing research on this earlier today because um, they're a type of wood lice. Well, they are sometimes known as wood lice, okay. but they aren't lice. They aren't technically insects at all. They are terrestrial crustaceans. Uh, they, which means that their closest relatives are, in fact, uh, crabs, lobsters, and shrimp. Really? Um, if you flip them over, they have seven pairs of legs as opposed to an insect, six, and two pairs of antennae, though only one pair is readily visible. Um, they also don't have wings, unlike uh, pretty much all adult insects, with very few exceptions. Okay. Um, I believe that there are some sow bugs that have found their way into my home. Now, they're not obviously not, they're not dangerous? Oh, no, not at all. Um, they're probably just about the most innocuous organism you could ever find. They feed primarily on decaying vegetation. They don't even generally bother live plants. They like it where it's damp and moist, so you'll often find them in leaf litter around the garden and such. And every once in a while, they'll uh, meander in through uh, a bad seal around a window or a door frame or something, and... Uh, they tend to expire very rapidly inside because they need very high humidity levels and moisture in order to thrive, and they dehydrate very quickly indoors. Hmm. They are physically incapable of biting people and make uh, rather good little pets. I don't think I'll keep any of them as pets. I have been stepping on them. <clears throat> yes, I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, uh, I have a list of questions uh, that I sort of generated on my own. and Which I was just about to get to, actually, because I know that you have generated this list of questions. And and I, uh, I actually asked the Twitter community to help, and the only person who responded was former guest Raman Ostad. And uh, his only question <laughs> was, uh, can't we find another way to have an ecosystem without having to tolerate those disgusting things sharing our space? He's a, he's an entomophobe. Right. And by the discuss- disgusting things, he means insects in general? I believe so, yes. Um, it's pretty much uh, an abject impossibility to uh, have any ecosystem, pretty much any ecosystem on uh, the planet, at least anywhere on land, that could function without insects. And if you expand it to include uh, arthropods uh, in general, which would be things with exoskeletons and many jointed legs like crustaceans, yeah, uh, then really no ecosystem on Earth could really thrive 
without those sorts of things. Um, like I said, he's going to live in fear the rest of his life. <laughs> like I said before, it's really insects and spiders that run the world, not us. We just have delusions of grandeur. Now I'm going to segue from that before you mm-hmm. continue with your question. Sure, please. I read an article, um, and I think it was on New Scientist. Uh, just recently, mm-hmm. about a species of ant that has essentially super colonized the globe. That they yeah, I believe have... it's the Argentine ant. Yes. Um, any uh, ant from any colony throughout the world, um, you can transplant it into another ant colony, and it gets along just fine. Whereas um, with other ant species, um, different uh, genetic groupings of them like that is ants from other colonies won't get along with one another and colonies will in fact fight and try and establish dominance because, over one another. Because ants are a very violent species. Indeed, they are. Expansionistic. Aggressive. They're a lot like us. Oh. I've heard that there's uh, something on the order of five quintillion ants on the face of the planet. That uh, that means that we are outnumbered people. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot I'm just saying. Ants. I'm just saying the Argentine ant outnumbers us and is everywhere. So watch your back. They and, might know where you sleep. Yeah, I mean, if, if if we somehow nuked the planet and probably effectively destroy the human race, there's a good chance that at least a handful, a small percentage of the quintillion? Yeah. How, well, how many? Is that five times? Well, what the hell is that number? That's yeah. a lot of zeros is <laughs> yeah. what it is. To scale it up, like a billion is... Uh, one one hundredth, uh, or sorry, one one thousandth of a trillion, and right. a trillion is one one thousandth of a quadrillion, right. and a quadrillion is one one thousandth of a quintillion. And now my ears are bleeding because my brain has melted. But yes, no, I understand what you're saying. That's uh, obscenely huge. That is a large number. Let's continue with your uh, with your questions. Well, I had a few uh, um, that were real, uh, and I asked you the first one actually when we started mm-hmm. the show, which was about entomophobia. Yeah, just. Uh, to elaborate on that question a bit, we actually do have a species of uh, black widow spider that is uh, native to southern Alberta. It comes about as far north as uh, Medicine Hat. It's the uh, western black widow, Latrodectus hesperus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is capable of producing medically significant bites. That is, bites that you would notice and might make you uncomfortable. But, but as I mentioned, wouldn't. yeah, um, only in extremely rare cases would somebody die from this. And typically it would be from something like an allergic reaction to the venom. Well, most people that are bitten by them aren't even hospitalized. And uh, to get bitten by them is, well, and you'd have to the be act bit- of pro- uh, order of probability akin to getting struck by a lightning bolt. You'd have to go out of your way to harass a spider. Absolutely. They, there is no spider on the face of the planet uh, that seeks out people to bite. Huh. And yet, every time I harass a lightning cloud, I don't get struck by lightning. Indeed. Actually, I've never they're, been bitten by a spider either. They're far more patient than even spiders are. They are. It's because they're way up there. They can effectively ignore me. Yeah, and they do. What it's, we need to do is uh, get spiders that uh, can uh, generate uh, electric currents like some fish. And so we have spiders that would then strike you with lightning bolts and bring both of them together. You're saying we need to engineer a spider we like this? We need electric spiders, yes. I think it'd be I really actually, cool. You know what? I, I, I bet I could find a, a handful of investors who would help fund the research for that. Don't awesome. encourage Keep him. Posting. Peter is basically already a mad scientist. I know he is. I can tell by the sinister <laughs> look on his face. <laughs> awesome. Um, so uh, some more questions. Ones that I had um, were typically about insect and arachnid myths. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember someone, and I can't remember if it was my mom or my late grandma or you know someone rendering some folksy wisdom that... Um, if you have spiders in your house, mm-hmm. that's the sign of a healthy home. Well, it's really the sign of a home. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pretty much all houses, whether you want to or not, have the odd spider in them. Um, there's a st- there's the myth out there that, oh, you're only you're ne- with ever within three meters of a spider. That was uh, one of my questions. Now, really, it's a statistic that was pulled out of thin air. Um there hasn't been any real concrete studies that back it up, but it's believable enough that, you know, it. I couldn't verify it, but it's not totally out to lunch either. Yeah. Um, if you were, say, in a research station in the Antarctic, um, there might be some spiders living in the research station there, but if you walked out onto uh, the ice fields, there wouldn't be any there because there are, in fact, no spiders native to Antarctica. It's the only there... continent they haven't colonized. But, yeah, I was uh, just going to ask if there are any insects uh... On Antarctica. Oh, yes, actually, there are. The largest purely terrestrial organism in Antarctica is an insect uh, that's just that's a, remarkable. a couple of millimeters long, if I'm not mistaken, because penguins don't count. They're amphibious. Yes. And so, what the hell does this insect do? 
Uh, just like hang out. He's like, it's really effing cold out here. Yeah. Well, Antarctica does have a uh, something remotely resembling a summertime, and they're not going to be active in the depths of winter, of course. Yeah. Huh. I kind of went off on a tangent. What was the original question? I don't even remember. <laughs> I think it had to do with uh, spiders. Um, oh, there we go. And and so it's wonderful to coexist with spiders because they eat other insects. Oh, yeah. They? If you have spiders in your house, well, it's probably a sign that there's something else there. And that's not a sign that you should get an exterminator. The simple fact is people's houses are not 100% insect proof. Yeah. Bugs are everywhere. It's a fact of life. Um, really, man up and get used to it. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm really trying. No, that we live in a world that's, you know, just filled with insects everywhere. And if you do learn to accept it, you'll probably live a much longer and more stress-free life. I'm trying that as well. It's not working. For some, it's much harder than others, and I can understand it. But if you do find a bug or a spider in your home, then it's not an immediate cause for panic. It does not mean that you have a filthy house. It just means you have a house. <laughs> I like that. Spiders? Now, I read, um, I was reading an article that stated that cockroaches are a perhaps, shall we say, uh, inappropriately maligned species in that they uh, evolved, one could say, to coexist with larger mammals because they clean up after us and they help uh they help keep us free of, of more pesky insects by devouring a lot of the smaller stuff that would affect us. And moreover, that they are actually incredibly clean insects, that they groom themselves, and I'm quoting here, like a cat, and therefore aren't like the harbingers of filth that people expect yeah, them to be. It's just people associate them with uh, disgusting foul conditions where there simply is more for them to eat. But the insects themselves do not create those disgusting conditions. They are just sort of a result of it. Cockroaches actually are relatively clean as far as bugs are concerned. They aren't uh, disease vectors of any kind for anything that can affect humans as far as I know. And as a matter of fact, uh, there are hundreds of species of cockroaches worldwide and only a tiny fraction of them ever exist in uh, human habitations. Most are content to live out their lives in the wild. You know, you're right, Scott. Cockroaches are considered to be a sinister pest. They're the, they gross mm -hmm. people out. Do we have uh, lots of cockroaches in uh, Edmonton? Not a lot. Um, the kind of cockroaches that uh, most people would expect to find, uh, Paraplanata americana, the American cockroach, about two inches long, is extremely rare in uh, Edmonton. Once in a blue moon, you might find them, and your best chance of finding them is in uh, research collections at the, the U of A. Ah. Um, we do uh, actually have uh, German cockroaches uh, that are very small, like they're top out at about a centimeter long, that are more common, mm -hmm. and you can find them here and there, but even then, most people are probably never going to see them in their lives. That's a relief. I read uh, when I was trying to look up myths to um, questions, insect myths to ask you. One of the myths I read was that it, if you don't, it was like true or false. If you don't cover your feet up when you go to bed, uh, cockroaches will climb into your bed and not your toenails. <laughs> well, they can eat just about anything, so I couldn't really dispute it. I really doubt that they would. <laughs> <laughs> but so if a desperate gross. cockroach that was being remote controlled by somebody um, wanted to, I'm certain that a cockroach could come up and nibble on your toenail. It's funny you should mention remote controlled insects because I have a, a buddy who is an entomologist in uh, Arizona, I think. Mm -hmm. And he, he went to school at the U of A uh, for at least his bachelor degree. And he, I, he swore to God, and I don't know if he was just pulling my leg, that some of his research was funded by the U.S. military. And some of it involved mounting cameras onto moths and trying to con remote control insects mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So uh, uh, I guess that's just making use of what's in your environment. Is, is that even a remote possibility? Plugging something into an insect brain and then making it go wherever you want. Crazier things have happened, uh, let me tell you. But not in, in your experience, you've not? Not specifically, but it's, it's not totally out there either. Like, I could believe that that sort of thing could happen with the right kind of research. Um, there's parallels in uh, the animal world. There's a type of wasp that uh, uses, that they sting cockroaches and uh, it's kind of anesthetizes the cockroach and it essentially leads the cockroach around by its antennae uh, to take it to its lair so its larvae can feed on it. Like a wasp, how does it's it lead of, it by its antennae? Well, basically the, um, the venom that it injects kind of stupefies the cockroach and it's just sort of, prone to being controlled by the wasp and it just sort of pulls it along like a dog on a leash. That is insane. 
mind controlling insects, man. If those ever, if those things ever get big and powerful because of some kind of radioactive event, we're screwed. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. <laughs> now, you mentioned wasps that remote control cockroaches. Uh, there are wasps also that lay their eggs in living caterpillars and then allow their larvae to eat them alive when they grow. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's lots of wasps that do this. It's called, uh, they're not properly called parasites. They're parasitoids because uh, they actually kill the hosts. A parasite is something that uh, would feed directly off an organism. More like a leech. Yeah, and then take off, leaving the organism relatively okay. But uh, there's been times where I've been picking apart uh, insect larvae in the lab, like caterpillars or what have you, and you you squish open the caterpillar and inside is almost nothing but like a wasp or fly larva. It's like it's wearing a caterpillar suit, (laughs) but the caterpillar suit is still alive. (laughs) I I think I... I might be coming in uh, afraid of insects. There's so many weird things out there like that. It's it's incredibly fascinating. There are fungi that uh, infect ants and turn their butts bright red to uh, basically signal to birds, eat me, eat me. Birds come along and then the fungi are passed along via the birds that way. That is astonishing. What is the strangest insect in Edmonton? In your experience. The strangest insect in Edmonton. Um, Strange is rather subjective. That's sort of a difficult question. Um, Even by your standards, strange. mm. Because I know that your tolerance for strange when it comes to insects is probably much, much higher than an average Edmontonian's. Let me think. Um, See, I I spend a lot of time reading about all these crazy tropical insects and, oh, they're so bizarre. Um, I think the one that probably catches most people off guard most frequently would be the giant water bug, uh, bellistomatid uh, insect. They're a, they look sort of like a cockroach and are about uh, oh, three inches long or so, uh, so seven or eight centimeters, um, have uh, raptorial forelegs. Basically, they use their forelegs like pincers to grab their prey, uh, live most of their lives underwater, but in late summer especially, they'll be out flying around looking for new bodies of water, make sort of a, a clattery racket with their membranous wings, and you'll find them around gas stations and things. Most people will assume they're some sort of hideous mutant cockroach that has uh, descended upon them as uh, part of the rapture, but uh, no, they're, uh, they're part of our native fauna. You just don't see them very often. That would be my reaction. It's the rapture. It's the rapture. Terrible bugs everywhere. <laughs> now, when I was a kid, I remember uh, certain summers where we would have just a glut of caterpillars. Yeah. Like so many that you could hear them chewing on leaves. So many you couldn't step without stepping on Yeah. Them. Yeah. Um, so what, what is Hydroplaning that... on caterpillar guts on the way up to the cabin or whatnot. Oh, geez. That yeah, the last like real outbreak we had of uh, forest tent caterpillars, I believe, was in 1987. And we haven't really had one since. Um to what factors are involved. Uh, there's so many, I couldn't say why we haven't had any. They used to say, oh, they come in approximately seven-year uh, surges, but it's just that's the the average, and it's been ages since we have them. I suspect that uh, the drought conditions that we've been having are a contributor to the uh, lower tank caterpillar populations. There's still a few out there here and there, but not in the mass numbers that we've so, so you would need like an year. optimal level of moisture and and then just like the perfect conditions for them to hatch a bunch of... I would say it'd be conjecture, and it'd probably take a while for their populations to build up again because they don't have a whole mess of generations per year. Yeah. Huh. So if we actually started getting a decent amount of rain for the next few years, we'd probably see their population start to climb. But like I say, it's just conjecture. I don't know what other factors are involved. I haven't seen a lot of, obviously, tent... They're called tent caterpillars? Yeah, Okay. because they tend to congregate in large masses and leave... Uh, tents of uh, webbing in uh, forks and tree branches and stuff. So they actually weave, they don't, what, what is the, the silk that they weave? Is it silk? Like yeah, a spider? It's, well, it's different uh, origin. Uh, they secrete it from uh, glands in their mouth parts, whereas spiders have uh, organs called uh, spinnerets on the end of their abdomen that secrete it. Um, but it's it's called silk. It's Caterpillar si- drool? Essentially, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's caterpillar spit that they string out. It's just like uh, people's big brothers who torment them with it. <laughs> Yuck! Though I didn't, I don't see many people's bigger brothers uh, spinning, you know, nests out of their own spitting trees and stuff. That would be amazing. In it. If my big brother did that, I'd be like, wow! Not only do you understand mathematics in, a, in an abstract way, doctor, but uh, you're drooling silk on me, and it's mm-hmm. remarkable. Yeah, it is a, a 
it is quite a different structure molecularly, though. Uh, spider silk is uh, considerably stronger. Yeah. Um, caterpillar silk is a lot easier to harvest. Like silkworms, you can rear in mass numbers because they don't eat each other. Spiders are uh, generally quite cannibalistic, so you can't rear them in uh, large numbers. They're attempting to uh, create bacteria and uh, things that uh, can produce the spider silk protein. And in many cases, they've actually succeeded. Uh, but the trouble is then arranging these proteins in the proper format because it's more than just, you know, squeezing this goo out of a tube and voila, <laughs> like spider, spider silk. It's got to be uh, arranged in the right way. Like the spider spinnerets are a key component of its structure. So you literally need a like a organic tool to like weave the spider silk. Or rather to exude it at the right level. It actually uh, is liquid when it comes out, yeah. and it is uh, it goes through a process called shear thinning, not unlike uh, the process that through which nylon is created. Yeah. As it is drawn out, um, its molecules align and it becomes solid, and it's actually considerably stronger than uh, steel per weight. If we could make uh, like uh, sails for sailboats and Kevlar vests and that sort of thing, well, they wouldn't be Kevlar vests, they'd be spider silk vests, um, out of it, um, yeah, it's about three times stronger than Kevlar. That is amazing. Uh, so when you watch, did, did you watch any of the Spider-Man movies? <laughs> yeah, I figured, I figured. I was there, you know, the midnight showing for every single one of them. And uh, when, when Peter shoots, uh, mm -hmm. I just made that connection. I'm interviewing a guy named Peter who likes spiders. In and fact, Spider-Man. I've got over 2,000 Spider-Man comics at home. That's so. amazing. In fact, his name is Peter Daly, and Peter Parker works at the Daily Bugle. But there is no I in my name because I am not Peter Parker. It's true. It's all falling into place. Almost too convenient, in fact. So when you watch <laughs> Spider-Man and you see, uh, the, like in the first film, I thought it was kind of cool how they do that close-up on Peter's fingers and yeah. little those little hooks. The little setae on his. Is that what, that's how spiders are able to crawl around? Um, it depends on the spider. Most spiders have, uh, well, pretty much all spiders have what are called tarsal claws. Basically, at the end of their legs, they have uh, two, or in the case of some web-spinning spiders, three claws um, that allow them to climb up any surface that's relatively rough. Um, but uh, they can't climb really smooth, polished surfaces. Um, there aren't really that many in nature. Leaf surfaces are one of the few examples that are close to as smooth as, you know, man-made things, which is why you'll find spiders stuck in the bathtub. They simply can't climb out. Other spiders, though, um, like jumping spiders and sack spiders and some types of tarantulas have what are called scopulae, specialized hairs um, that are on the ends of their legs um, that... Uh, basically exploit uh, the physics of uh, very small things and electrostatic attraction uh, known as van der Waals forces uh, to enable them to climb very smooth surfaces. Uh, they wouldn't look exactly like those little claws on uh, Peter Parker's fingers in the close-up. They are sort of uh, long spatulate hairs Yeah. sort of present the most surface area in contact with uh, uh, that smooth surface. Uh, on a molecular level, they're quite similar to uh, the lamellae that uh, geckos possess on their toes that allow them to do similar things. Okay. So uh, that's just one dimension of, of, you know, Peter Parker's abilities. Mm -hmm. um, how, in your, in your opinion, it's obviously a movie. How mm -hmm. um, faithful were they to the science of spiders? Um, not particularly. There were some accommodations made in the movie that made it a little more realistic than the comics, but it's still conjecture. Yeah, of course. Um, and really out to lunch. A lot of the reasons why insects and spiders are so terribly strong for their size is simply a factor of their size. If you scaled them up to human size, they wouldn't be anywhere near as strong for their body mass. And if you were able to scale us down to insect size, we too would be fantastically strong. And fantastically fast from what I've read. Really? Yeah. And uh, unable to stand up because uh, our reflexes wouldn't work fast enough to keep us from falling over. Uh, that uh, is the reason why giant animals, by the way, also unfeasible. Because if a uh, human were to grow to be a 50-foot woman, her bones would shatter. It's, it's called the square cube law. Look it up. <laughs> I probably will. Yeah. Um, but there, there are some aspects of the Spider-Man movies that, okay, yeah, except the the nature of the medium and the, the storytelling. And yeah, that's, that's sort of accurate. If anything, I'd say he was far too slow and clumsy for uh, 
like compared to what a real spider would be like if it maintained the same physical characteristics yeah. of human size. I have seen uh, spiders skitter cl- across the basement floor of my house at alarming speed. Yeah, the uh, the common house spider, Tegenaria domestica, uh, that is often the spider you will find stuck in your bathtub. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't come from the bathtub, by the way. They get stuck in there. They don't want to be there. Um, they can move at scale speeds of approximately about 300 kilometers an hour. Wow. Though they can't keep it up for very long. As they're running, uh, the nature of their respiration precludes them breathing as they're running at top speed. So so they they have to hold their breath and give her. Yeah, basically. That's funny. Just like... Um, (gasps) I've seen some incredible uh, feats of uh, strength and agility just from local spiders. Uh, I've seen film footage of uh, a jumping spider. uh, Yeah. Possibly the best physical model for uh, a Spider-Man analog. Uh, Leaping... And catching a fly in midair before the fly even realizing what was going on. Fly just buzzing along, doo dee doo dee doo jumping spider, whoosh, leaps out and grabs it and, wow. and munches on it. It was awesome. On the topic of munching on things, because I'm just occasionally throwing out crazy questions, mm-hmm. um, we're gonna we're gonna rove away from from specifically Edmonton with this one. What is the biggest carnivorous insect in the world? The one that like jackals fear. Okay. Well, the largest insects in the world are herbivorous. Um, the Goliath beetle of Africa, uh, which gets to be the whopping weight of about three ounces and maybe as uh, about the size of a, a small person's uh, palm of their hand, um, that they are herbivorous. Uh, the stick insect of uh, Southeast Asia, I, it gets to be about uh, 13 inches long, also herbivor- herbivorous. Uh, the largest insect I can think of that would be carnivorous to any degree would be the, I believe the Weta crickets of New Zealand can get to be pretty whopping size too, like almost as big as a Goliath beetle and will eat other insects. They're basically big, fat, chunky crickets that look like they've eaten nothing but steroids and whiskey their whole life. Um, (laughs) and can't fly or really hop very well because they're so massive and actually are sort of a a point of pride of uh, New Zealand. They're... They're not generally feared the way that we would fear insects there. It's like, oh, look at our cool giant crickets. Really? Yeah. And that and, and the, the filming Weta, of Lord of the Rings? Yeah, there. the Weta Workshop. It's named after those crickets. Oh, of course. Um, we were talking about uh, scale of insects, like if they were human scale and all that thing. Mm-hmm. So the the spider shelob from Lord of the Rings would just be... A, it a, wouldn't really work. Yeah. If, if you scaled up a spider to shelob size, um, first off, uh, it would probably collapse under its own weight. Um, second, uh, she wouldn't be able to get that big in the first place because in order to grow, arthropods have to shed their exoskeletons. They have, instead of having bones on the inside, they've got a shell on the outside that supports them entirely. It's not just a suit of armor. This is a skeleton that is on the outside. Their muscles are attached to it. And when they have to grow, um, it's like if you had, uh, a suit of armor, uh, if you got it when you were five years old, you'd need to get a few new sets by the time you got to be 24. Right, yeah. Um, so when they molt, they grow a new exoskeleton underneath the old one that is all sort of shriveled and wrinkled up and soggy. And then once they pop out of it, uh, once they pop out of the old exoskeleton, that is, they uh, have to puff themselves up to create more room inside so they can sort of grow into the new exoskeleton and really? they have to wait for a while as it uh, dries. So they basically have to like hide out to make sure no one tries to kill them? Basically, because huh. they're rather vulnerable. So if, if Shelob was even half that size and tried to molt, she'd basically get smushed under her own weight when her exoskeleton wasn't supporting her. Spiders' uh, respiration uh, works fantastically when they're very small, but it wouldn't work f- uh, beyond a certain size. And uh, that so- is why spiders and insects uh, in general don't get to be much larger than they are right now simply because a the way they breathe and b the fact that they have to mold now i'm going to interject there um back in the day as we call it, like the devonian period there were much larger insects and the hypothesis i heard was because there was a much more oxygen rich atmosphere at yes, the time and so uh insects grew larger at the time because they could breathe whereas nowadays an insect of that size just wouldn't be able to uh to process the oxygen. Yeah, it's uh, one of the leading theories as to why we don't have uh, things like uh, Arthropleura, uh, a seven-foot-long uh, millipede-like organism. 
Or wow. giant dragonflies. Yeah. yeah. Technically, they weren't dragonflies. They were more properly known as griffinflies, but looked very similar to dragonflies and could have a wingspan in excess of two feet. So think sort of a dragonfly-like insect, uh, almost the size of a raven, a raven, at least wingspan-wise. They were actually very narrow, about a quarter of an inch thick. Even then, with higher oxygen levels, they need to be very thin in order to be able to breathe properly. The largest arthropod I can think of is a type of a sea scorpion. Uh, not truly a scorpion, but an arachnid related to scorpions that uh, got, I think it was called pterygotus. I might be getting the wrong species here, so don't quote me on it. Uh, got to be about 10 feet long, but was uh, almost assuredly exclu exclusively aquatic. Wow. Um, an insect I've seen an awful lot this summer, and I understand it has to do with dry conditions, are grasshoppers. Yep, they tend to thrive when it's dry. And they're, the ones that I've come across, and maybe this is a specific species, they're exceeding, they're like exceedingly large. They're really big. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I would say like an inch and a half long and pretty thick, robust looking creatures. Yeah, with sort of yellow stripes down. Yeah, yeah. I hate those things. Well, that's too bad. They're what? really cool. Oh, the worst was uh, I, I went out to Tim Hortons at, at work on a break, came back inside, sat down at my desk, started doing some work, and then just, like, scratched my arm and grabbed this freaking grasshopper. You know what you should do? Freaked out like a girl. I'm not recommending the, this to any of the listeners, but if this happens to you, use it to your own advantage. Say the grasshopper came in your cup of coffee and then get a free coffee out of it. <gasps> I would never do that. That's a really good idea. Um, do you love the bug room at the museum? Yeah, I do. It's very like... cool. It's a really good opportunity for a lot of local kids to go out and actually interact with bugs in a positive environment. Yeah. So try and get over the fears. That's, I think, sort of the most crucial time when you're kids. I do a lot of uh, public education work with my job, and I've done a lot on my own time. And uh, in children, they have a lot of the same fears that adults do, but they're much less stubborn about it. It's it's much more shallow fear. It yeah. takes them much less time to get over it. Many times I've been uh, talking to kids in a classroom and uh, bring out a tarantula and there's those few in the corner. <laughs> and there'll be that one brave kid that comes up and, and handles the tarantula kind of tentatively. And then within 10 minutes, all the other kids are up there wanting to hold it too because they've just had that reinforcement. Oh, it is okay. And the fear is just whoop, out the window. This is cool. This is something I wouldn't have expected. But with adults, you know, those ones who are afraid of it, chances are they're not really going to get over it. They're just going to, you know, la, 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 yeah. plug their ears and close their eyes and not want to have anything well, to do with it. They've had those fears since they were children and they yeah. probably had no one to, to you know, Exactly. You know, I'm not trying to say bad things about those sorts of people. It's yeah. just a shame that entomophobia and arachnophobia are so prevalent in our society when there really is not much of a logical cause for it. It's just emotional reactions that are uh, reinforced by our culture's perceptions of these things. Yeah. Um, now, I know that in... I I don't know anything about, like, Middle Eastern or Egyptian culture, but they they're, the scarab is they often... They revered the scarab in uh So it was like Egyptian worship culture. of an insect, almost. Yeah, the sun was said to be rolled across the sky every morning by a giant scarab. Uh, uh, scarab beetles um, basically harvest animal dung and uh, roll it into... basically mash it into balls and then roll it around to feed their larvae. And... So I guess the Egyptians thought that the sun was a giant ball of poop or something. But uh, <laughs> I thought someone told me the same thing. I thought it was true. <laughs> it's not a giant poo ball in the sky. Well, I don't. Uh, I don't know that anybody has any proof that it's not. Just saying. Maybe they do. <laughs> a flaming <laughs> bag of poo in the sky, <laughs> and they're just waiting for like whoever the silver surfer's worst enemy is to come and step on it, and then uh, Terax. Yeah. Or the giant planet-eating guy. Oh, Ego. Yeah. Or, oh, that's Galactus. He was sort of his enemy and sort of his master, depending on what part of the chronology you're talking so about. So you're a big fan of, uh, of comics, obviously. Oh, yeah. And not just insect-based ones. Well, Spider-Man is an arachnid-based one. Ah, sorry. Yeah. I stand corrected. But no, no I, so I like comic books in general. Spider-Man, of course, is at the top of the heat, but I read a lot of other ones, too. Are there very many other insect-based characters, aside from the tick? Spoon! <laughs> um, well, he's an arachnid-based character, too. Oh, tick. His psychic, are... Arthur, is uh, insect-based. So. He's a because moth, the tick, right? Yeah, yeah. The ticks are arachnids, too. They're related to spiders. Let's talk about ticks because, okay. I mean, this is, this is I think, an insect that uh, there's a lot of maybe, I don't want to say unnecessary hype, but certainly a lot of hype. Yeah. Negative hype around Especially uh, concerning Lyme disease. Yeah. And so, so there, I remember hearing that the government 
in this province was saying, yes, we have ticks, but no, they don't carry Lyme disease. Um, in general, yes. Uh, Lyme disease, we are at very, very low risk for here in Alberta. And I'm why is going, that? Well, only certain types of ticks are vectors for it. Okay. Um, only exoded ticks, ticks belonging to a particular group, uh, can carry Lyme disease. The uh, typical ticks that we have around here, like uh, the genus Dermacenter, for example, um, are irritating. Um, you don't want to have them bite you, but they can't transmit Lyme disease. So when Now, I... we have found exoted ticks here in Alberta on occasion, but they aren't very common. So they're, they're brought in maybe by someone Not or Not generally, just uh, some of their uh, natural range extends fairly close to Alberta, and once in a while you do get a hitchhiker. Or it's like, you know, someone takes their uh, dog on vacation. Yeah. Um, brings it back and the tick hasn't popped off by the time they get back home. Okay. So I've never, I don't believe I've ever had a tick bite me. So, but in the event that I do, tell me how that works. They, they bite you and they kind of burrow into your skin a little bit? Um, they have uh, mouth parts that uh, they sort of saw into your skin with yeah. uh, called hypostome, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they, uh, they don't actually dig all the way in, but their mouth parts are barbed. So if you do get one in you, um, it's best to try and remove it very slowly and carefully to allow it the opportunity to pull out its mouth parts on its own. Oh, I see. As opposed to just yoink, and then you've got tick tick's bits in, in your, well, at least the, the equivalent of the, the tick's teeth or its drinking straw stuck in you. And why is that bad? Like our well, bodies can eventually it, break that down and metabolize Yeah, it's it. not going to kill you, but it could potentially lead to infection like any foreign object in you. I see. Okay. Especially something that may have been feeding on something else has that bit of blood residue on it. Not as a vector for a disease, but just because it's organic material that... It's know, a foreign human. body, right? Yeah. Now, we've already touched on what the most dangerous, quote unquote, uh, insect in Edmonton is with mosquitoes. While we're on the subject of ticks, what other pests should people in Edmonton and in, in the area should people be aware of? Um, we actually have had a huge surge in bed bug populations in Canada in general over the last few years. Now, they aren't a vector for any disease that I'm aware of. They're not terribly dangerous, but they can cause a great deal of discomfort, both uh, physical and mental, uh, are prone to uh, biting many multiple times. Um, so if you find a row of little red dots on you in the morning, there is a chance that you may have bed bugs. My, uh, one of my friends actually recently, and I won't name names, uh, had a bed bug infestation and he and his roommates had to fumigate because it was, it was pretty terrible. It was pretty terrible. Yeah. And that was here in, that was here in Edmonton. Yeah. So that's local. It definitely is an uncomfortable situation and causes people a lot of stress because they can be very persistent and can be difficult to get rid of. And it's generally very time consuming to get rid of them, but it's not something that is going to kill you or cause your hand to fall off or anything like that. It's just people don't like the prospect of being bitten by bugs. And to tell you the truth, I wouldn't want to have bed bugs either. It's just kind of unpleasant. All right. So when people have bed bugs, Scott mentioned fumigation. D have you ever heard of people having to like toss their mattresses or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, um, I have heard of it. The, the trouble is bed bugs uh, will nestle in just about any sort of nook and cranny around the bed, not just the mattress. Now, uh, one thing that you can do if it's extremely cold outside, like we're talking uh, dead, dead of winter minus 30 or more, you can take your bedding and stuff, leave it outside when it is extremely cold. And if it's out there long enough, it actually can kill the bed bugs off. But then you then may have to worry about, you know, the odd one lurking in the bed posts or in the cracks around the molding or on the walls or something like that. Wow. The best bet is for long term, um, if you fear that you've got bed bugs, change out your bedding, um, clean out your, uh, your bed frame and try and get something that has as little places for uh, the bed bugs to nestle in, you're never going to get anything perfect, mind you. And make sure that none of the bed sheets or any part of the bed touches uh, the ground. Oh, so they, they're crawling insects. They can't. Yeah, like they'll crawl up. Like if uh, the sheet touches the floor, they can actually crawl up the sheet to get onto the bed. I've heard of people uh, putting the bed posts in uh, cans with uh, mineral oil or something like that in them yeah. so that... Uh, the bed bugs can't crawl up the bedpost. They'll drown before they can get to it. They don't have wings and they can't jump. They only crawl. So we're talking again about rough surfaces. And yeah, like if you can uh, limit the bed bugs' access to you, then you eliminate the source of biting. And they're not uh, an, an insect that is. They are an insect. Yeah, they are an they're, insect. And they're not, you know, hanging out in your bedroom necessarily because of filth or anything. No, no, not at all. Uh, it's there's a lot of stigma associated with having bed bugs, but. 
really you could have an immaculately kept house and still end up having bed bugs. It is not something to be ashamed of. Better to get it dealt with right off the bat. Um, if someone judges you because you've got bed bugs, well, they're just jerks. Yeah, fair enough. I think so too. So stop bugging me about my bed bugs, Scott. <laughs> uh, are there any other pests on that note well, that we should on. be on the okay I, hold? I, I want to go back. I want to go back to ticks because <laughs> now I'm a little bit worried. Um, because I want to know, uh, you know how they sell tools at like Mountain Equipment Co-op or Coast Mountain Sports outdoor stores that are tick removal tools. Is there um, is there actually j- maybe just your fingers or maybe like a pair something of tweezers? Get a, yeah, a pair of tweezers would probably do the job. I haven't seen the tools in question. They may be better at it and a little less awkward to use than just the random stuff you happen to have on you, but it doesn't necessarily take a lot to do it. I've also heard of uh, covering the tick in something like mineral oil to cover up its uh, spiracles, uh, the what holes it through which through? it's breathed, so okay. that or the trachea, I should say, so that it uh, sort of starts to suffocate and will pull out on its own. But yeah, I've seen so few people with ticks actually stuck in them. I haven't had the opportunity to try it myself. So, well, I, I haven't had that opportunity mm-hmm. either. Just bed bugs for me. So, uh, what else should people be on the lookout for? Um, really, very little. Um, as I mentioned, mosquitoes, bed bugs. That's about all that is going to cause most people trouble around Edmonton. And even then, it's pretty small level of trouble. Uh, yeah, I certainly don't want to get people paranoid about mosquitoes. This is the lowest number of mosquitoes we actually had on record in over 40 years of our lab uh, checking them out. Yeah, I actually noted this summer that the mosquito count must be down because uh, there just weren't many of them. Yeah, yeah usually I'm usually I'm covered with welts by this time of year, and I think I've been bitten once. Yeah, mostly it boils down to the fact that it's been so terribly dry. We have had rain here and there this summer, so people are thinking it's not that dry. It's not epic drought, but there hasn't been that much standing water, and the mosquitoes need standing water to breed in. They won't breed in something like a lake or a creek because they don't like moving water, and they don't like large bodies of water where the predators are. It's got to be things like temporary puddles. Yeah. Uh, the 80s vexans, the really irritating ones I mentioned earlier, uh, can go through their life cycle in under a week under ideal conditions from egg to adult. So they don't need uh, water bodies that are going to be around for very long. In fact, they tend to do better in the smaller ones because they tend to be a little bit warmer and they can develop faster. So they come and take our blood and they use that for their eggs? Yep. What does our our blood do to their eggs? Uh, the blood is the energy from which they are able to create the eggs. Oh, okay. Ordinarily, they feed on nectar. So and the males are exclusively nectar feeders. Oh, from what? Yeah, it's just females that uh, drink the blood. Actually, I've also heard that that's one of the reasons why they're such an important part of the ecosystem is because they've been feeding on other animals' protein and therefore are a great source of protein for a lot of uh, predators the next stage up, spiders, some birds, mm-hmm. uh, fish uh, who feed on them, uh, get, a lot of, get a lot of good nutrition from them. So there you go. Uh, Peter, have you ever been bitten by anything remotely dangerous or venomous? No, not at in all. In your experience? And have, no. you, have you handled fairly venomous creatures? Oh, yeah. Um, I've had a pet black widow. I've got a couple of uh, Androctonus australis, African fat-tail scorpions that are one of the most dangerous uh, scorpions in the world. And I've got also a, a six-eyed sand spider from South America that also has medically significant venom. Now, I don't generally handle these things much simply because... I don't want to take the chance, you know. Yeah. The chance of getting struck by lightning are extremely slim, but at the same time, you don't go golfing in the middle of a thunderstorm on top of a hill. Unless it's just it's a asking dare. for trouble. Okay. But it only even, happened once. But if someone said I had to handle these, I would without much reservation simply because to get them to bite is is really difficult. They Or sting in the case of the scorpions. They're not out to hurt anybody. They do it strictly as self-defense, and it generally takes a lot to get them to be that ticked off in the first place. I've handled literally thousands of spiders in my life. I, Our cabin um, that my family has at Lesser Slave Lake, before we had to rebuild it, it was sort of a creaky old log thing with holes uh, in the walls. And, and you just loved it, didn't uh, you? There were spiders everywhere. There was one bed in our loft. I think I was the only one who really slept in it with any regularity, simply because there were so many spider webs in the open rafters. I could take a popsicle stick and toss it towards the roof, and it would just just stick in the webs without hitting any wood. I could count the spiders above me like stars, and I would wake up sometimes in the night with sort of a little 
with a spider crawling across my face and just be like, hey, this is a spider, you, you go make a web somewhere else. I, I don't want to roll over on you. This is my shit by accident. There you go. <laughs> Never got bitten by a single spider there and didn't get bitten by many mosquitoes either because they had to cross the gauntlet to get me. Yeah, they wouldn't and, dare enter spider territory. Yeah, and I've, I've caught thousands of them, played with them, kept them as pets, keep them as pets, and... To this day, I've only ever been bitten by a single spider, a large wolf spider I caught when I was about 10 years old, held it in my hands in on like a 30 Celsius day in, you know, my sweaty little 10-year-old hands for about 20 minutes trying to find a container to put it in. The wolf spider finally got so scared and so ticked off that it bit me. And you know what my response was? Right. Oh, I guess it bit me. And I kept looking for a pop-up. Yeah, see, you're definitely the exception. Yeah. And when I opened up my hand, there was a little tiny welt about the size of a mosquito bite. And that's really all you can expect from a spider bite. Hmm. Um, and yeah, that's what it took to get it to bite me. So if I have only been bitten by a spider once, what chance does the rest of the population have, honestly? Yeah. Now, something I want to get onto as long as we're kind of on this, there is a tremendous amount of misdiagnoses of strange welts on people. It is the unfortunate case that the uh, the go-to cause of a strange little red mark or welt on somebody is spider bite. I have encountered this many times myself, and there hasn't been a spider found. Um, there wasn't a spider caught in the act of biting. It's just, oh, here's a red mark. Doctor says it's probably a spider bite. Unfortunately, most doctors, and I love them, um, they do a wonderful service for humanity in general, but most of them are not trained as entomologists or arachnologists and are not much better equipped to uh, distinguish a spider bite from anything else, at least on site. And pretty much all of these people that uh, I've talked to who have supposedly got a spider bite and a doctor has told them that, um, they haven't even got biopsies done. Well, um, and why would they, right? Because it's just a little spider bite. Yeah. But but here's a list. Um, brown recluses. Oh, there are so many myths going around about brown recluses and hobo spiders, particularly here in Alberta. I was reading about those on the Wikipedia the other day. Do you ever look at those articles and note if there are errors, or are they pretty thorough? Um, depends. Uh, sometimes it's kind of painful. Oh, really? Uh, uh, but often they're quite good. Um, the trouble with Wikipedia is, of course, any schlub can go in there and edit it any however he feels like. So one day it might actually be pretty decent. The next day there might be some little niggling thing, like just the changing of the wording that changes the whole meaning of the article. Um, but I'm sure you've seen the pictures that have been going around via emails of, oh, the guy whose thumb was supposedly bitten by a brown recluse and big uh, necrotic lesion on it. Um, the truth is um, brown recluses, um, despite what people may tell you, have never been found in Alberta at all. If someone tells you that they have been bitten by a brown recluse, or know somebody that's bitten by a brown recluse, they're either a liar or subject to a misdiagnosis. Um, really bar none. I, I can't stress this any further. And, so so you have this list. Is this a list of species um, that people are afraid of and shouldn't be? Um, or? Actually, this is a list of things that uh, have been misdiagnosed as brown recluse bites. Uh, staphylococcus infections, streptococcus infections, gonococcal arthritis, dermatitis, cutaneous anthrax, warfarin poisoning, infected or chronic herpes simplex, shingles, Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, uh, tick bites, any number of insect bites. Uh, the, that's a huge list there. Uh, sporotrichosis, uh, keratin cell mediated response to fungus, poison ivy or poison oak response, chemical burns, lymphoma, lymphomatoid populosis, diabetic ulcers. <laughs> chemical burns? You, yeah. What do you spill? And, lie on your and you're just like shit a spider bit me exactly i was i'm gonna I, <laughs> you'd be amazed something jumped out at me before did you say anthrax on that list yeah cutaneous anthrax people have gotten anthrax he also and said, been like well i must have been bitten by a spider he also said herpes so it's just like no no baby that's just a spider bite <laughs> <laughs> and then uh-oh i guess the spider bit me afterwards <laughs> there's a big i must have got him from i must have got these spiders from my boyfriend's house <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so wrong so there and this is that was like half the list right there it goes on and on but these things have all been misdiagnosed as brown recluse bites and the list for just plain spider bites that would generally produce a milder reaction is probably even bigger like oh heat rash probably spider bites that's fr from now on anything god forbid you take off your sleeping bag at night <laughs> like, yeah. stub my toe and just be like God damn spider. 
Mm-hmm. Biting uh, my toe. Yeah. See, if and I look- assume if I find a strange welt on my body that I've been bitten by a mosquito in the night, which That's I would assume far is far more, more common. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a lot more reasonable line of uh, thinking to go along. But yeah, unless you find the spider like in the act of sinking its fangs into your skin, not just crawling on you, but actually in the process of biting, chances are it's not a spider bite. Hmm. It's just, you know, there's a lot of these little things that people wouldn't even notice. And then they find a spider in their room. Oh, crap, there's a spider. And then later they notice, oh, there's that little mark on my elbow. Oh, it's probably the spider that bit me. Yeah, but that's because they're... People are terrified of these things. Exactly. And, And, you know, I can't blame people for it, but trust me, spider bites are fantastically rare. So from now on, whenever someone's like, oh, man, I think a spider bit me and shows me You can laugh at them and I'll just be like, no, dude, that's probably herpes. (laughs) (laughs) It's more likely, honestly. (laughs) All right. All right. Um, But we should probably get on to your Fast 15 if we're going to do that. Um, So here we go with the Fast 15. Peter, what's your favorite food? Ooh, uh, hamburgers, anything lime or uh, crab legs. Ooh, crab legs. It's topical. He really likes crab, actually. I've eaten uh, seven pounds in one sitting, though that was including the shells. So. And that was at an all-you-can-eat crab place that <laughs> yeah. he basically closed, yeah. if I recall the <laughs> They're story. They're just correctly. like, sir, you have to leave. Well, yeah, I was there after closing. And I just kept eating. Awesome. And then they actually, if I'm not mistaken, gave you more so that you yeah. would leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like to go. <laughs> well, they'd already cooked it, and I was already full. It's like, you want some more? Uh, sure, I have a little more. Oh. <laughs> All right, your favorite color? Green, 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 green. Mac, PC, or Linux? Uh, PC, just because I'm what I'm used to. Dogs or cats? Uh, probably cats, less maintenance. Favorite holiday? Halloween. Favorite sport? Watching? Uh, nothing. I hate watching sports on TV. This okay. includes Stanley Cup playoff hockey with the Oilers in it. You're kidding. Yeah, I, you couldn't pay me to watch it. Huh. I'm not saying it sucks, just it's not my thing. Not your thing. Sports to participate in. Um, actually, I uh, I like quite a few. Uh, volleyball, I'm not sure if you call motorcycling a sport because I don't actually race it. But Your favorite pastime? Ooh, I've got like 8 billion hobbies, most of them very geeky. Hard to say. Um, the one I'm probably putting the most time into right now is probably uh, playing uh, uh, role-playing games. But uh, that... It's hard to say. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't say that is necessarily the favorite, but that's at least the one that I'm throwing the most time into. Right Fair now. enough. Your uh, favorite music right now? Um, genre, I tend to listen to a lot of classic rock. Oh, okay. Um, so to say that, oh, what... Uh, what newest what, classic yeah. rock are you listening to? <laughs> yeah. uh, let's Not see, so much. Uh, my favorite, My favorite artist that's still making stuff is probably Weird Al. Oh, yeah. He is pretty awesome. <laughs> All right. Your favorite movie? Ooh, favorite movie. Um, toss up between uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the original Star Wars trilogy, and the first two Spider-Man movies, I think. Right That's on. another long list, too, but we'll keep it at that. I'm sure, yeah. Uh, the, a favorite movie that you – this is a poorly phrased question. A movie that you love to hate, a movie that you fully dislike, but it seems like everybody else really enjoyed. Hmm. Now, the one that comes up to mind just because of the subject matter is Eight-Legged Freaks. And how old is that one? Uh, I think it was about 2000, 2001. Okay. Something like that. Um, I haven't even sat through it all the way. And it's not just the fact that they uh, portray spiders in such a negative light, because arachnophobia I liked well enough, and it was the same deal. But the fact that the spiders were actually very anatomically correct, but they didn't move properly. They all had the wrong posture and looked fantastically dehydrated. And that just <laughs> got under my skin. Oh, they went so far and then just missed that last they step. It. What about uh, your favorite uh, or or a secret shame movie, a movie that you like but you feel shame for liking it? I don't feel shame for watching any movie, but the one that would probably get like the most uh, sort of looks of disgust or raised eyebrows would probably be something like uh, Short Circuit or Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I love those movies. I do too, honestly. I don't think I think that going back to Short Circuit. Uh, now being almost 30, I'm just like, eh, not a great movie. But, I mean, that's because of Steve Gutenberg. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like him. Uh, okay, and so to your proudest moment. Um, I was very happy to have graduated in eight. Were hmm. you proud to have graduated? I don't think I felt proud. I was probably more relieved than proud, honestly. <laughs> it's finally over. <gasps> not that they did. Not that it wasn't a great program, but I just don't like school in general. Fair enough. What about your least proud moment? Least proud moment? 
uh, I don't know, maybe the first time I threw up at my grandma's place when I was seven. Mom, Dad, I don't feel so <laughs> Tiger ice cream all over the floor. Oh, no. <laughs> it looked the same going out as it did coming in, actually. <laughs> Your parents must have just been like, that was disgusting and awesome. <laughs> <laughs> On to our two wild card questions. I think I already know the answer to this one. Your favorite superhero? Oh, jeez. Yeah, no question. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. There's a lot I like, but he is like first through tenth on the list. For, fair enough. And your favorite insect? Favorite insect? Yeah. Um, insect specifically would probably be a toss between tiger beetle, dragonfly, and praying mantis. I like the sort of active, dynamic, predatory ones. My favorite arthropod, if we want to expand it a bit, sure. is undoubtedly uh, jumping spiders. They are, have fantastic uh, personality. They have huge, <laughs> expressive eyes, uh, are very cute, and very athletic and fun With to their, watch. With their piston-like legs <laughs> on that, shooting them through the air. On that terrifying note, the Fast 15 is done. Thank you very much, Peter. Now, My pleasure. we've been going on basically for the length of our podcast, and obviously we could talk for another hour yeah. uh, with Peter because it has been fantastically informative and very, very entertaining and very enjoyable. So we Thank will have you. to have you back on the show Definitely. at some point in the future. On that note, what is our next show? Our next show will be released around the time that uh, the preseason of the NHL gets started, and we're talking about exhibition hockey. So we're going to be talking about sports and sports journalism with a bit of a focus on the Edmonton Oilers, I hope. Uh, not exhibitionist hockey, because that could be awkward on a family That's show. something different and okay. uh, and something we maybe should talk about next show. Indeed we should. Thank you once again, Peter, for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Scott. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Adam. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, Episode 6. Our guest, Peter Daly, our topic, Edmonton Bugs. Pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. seems like uh, Middle Earth would have terrifying insects. Oh, yes. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can tell us. Well, yeah, the, uh, the spiders of Mirkwood are actually <laughs> descendants of Ungoliant, which uh, was a, demon, a huge demon in spider form and, in fact, physically was more powerful than uh, Morgoth, uh, the great darkness, who uh, Sauron was only a lackey of. Sauron was Morgoth's lieutenant. Actually, to tell you the truth, Ungoliant was really only uh, more powerful than uh, Morgoth after consuming uh, the Silmarils.